Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Well, it's not only uh, us that are thinking about property and buildings and land. Uh, It's uh, the wider diocese. I just spent um, a whole day yesterday uh, talking about strategy for uh, our land and buildings across Melbourne in the Anglican Church. And there's a great security and flexibility about having your own building. And when I drive onto this church property, uh, I am actually incredibly grateful for the people who have uh, bought this land in the past, given it to the uh, Trust Corporation of the Diocese now, and for those that have sacrificed to build what we have. Because even though we know that the early church didn't uh, meet in church buildings and that uh, there's a lot that can be done uh, in homes and in rented spaces, in our complex culture and perhaps uh, in an ever-increasing culture, uh, not relying on renting a public space where uh, what you are preaching or teaching Um, may become disaligned with the values of that other organisation or if they are a school or a council, um, uh, having what you teach and what you do under great scrutiny because of that, uh, having a building is is a fantastic advantage going forward. It also gives us incredible flexibility So um, having our own space meant that we could have this 60-person gathering on Thursday night with our um, Afghan guests and share this time together. We didn't have to think about, you know, when and what's available. We could just be flexible and uh, have a great time together. It also means that we can think about what we want to do next year. Do we want to respond to our community as it grows and what God is doing in different ways? We have that. But of course, we know that the church is not land or buildings. In the Diocese of Melbourne, there are 37 vacant parishes, that is, lands and buildings that do not have a minister. And so perhaps uh, one of the issues is how do you train and support and sustain uh, leaders, yes, clergy, but uh, all sorts of leaders to be in these spaces and these buildings to kind of uh, man the ship, as it were. But again, we know that from the Bible, the church is not the leader. The church does not cohere around one person up the front as much as it might seem like that sometimes. It's neither land nor buildings nor leadership. The church is the body of Christ with each one having been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to build up the others for the common good, for the common purpose. The church is every single person. Every single person, in fact, is 
the temple of the Holy Spirit, equivalent to land and buildings. We are that. And every single person is trained and equipped by the Holy Spirit. They don't have to go to Bible college. They don't have to be ordained. Every person is essential for the church to grow and flourish, for people to be blessed and for the kingdom of God to be expanding and growing and making an impact in this world. Now, there are lists of the different things that the Holy Spirit might do and might gift to people uh, as they seek to serve the common good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see some of those. To one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, another gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another miraculous powers, another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. And to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. That's a list of gifts. But then in the same passage, there's a list of people. Lots of people are receiving lots of different gifts, and I expect that they will be different according to the needs of the church. If all of us are flourishing in good health and none of us need healing, I expect that God will be pouring out, (laughs) we're not, Um, (laughs) I expect that God will be pouring out other gifts to build up the body of Christ, whatever is needed. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Well, the implied answer is no, but the implied answer is some will. So I wanted to ask uh, Beck to come and share something which she felt uh, from the Lord uh, to share with the church that speaks to this particularly powerfully. Hi, Jude. Um, As I was reading through this passage, I really felt God laying on my heart um, this word. This life of walking in the spirit, this life of these incredible gifts that he embodies through his people is actually normal. Many of us have probably felt, particularly this year, um, a lot of like, has anyone said, oh, yeah, life's getting back to normal? Things are getting back to normal. And I really felt God challenge uh, that idea of what do we expect normal to be? As people walking in his spirit, as the Spirit gives individual gifts for the building up of his body and for the glorification of God, do we expect this as normal? It's not a a word uh, to condemn, but maybe one to challenge that as we step into this season, do we actually thirst for this to be our normal? Do we seek God uh, and seek the voice of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis 
Jesus, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of your normal, that your kingdom come and your will be done? Well, I think it's appropriate that we pray before we move on. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us. Where we need to be challenged, please do that. Open us and give us a hunger and a commitment to using every gift that you pour out on your church. Amen. Paul has done this. What we have attempted to model in the last couple of weeks, this is what Paul is commending the church in Corinth. Yes, everybody gets to play. This is a body ministry. And yet he says, I will show you the most excellent way. The church itself is not land, it's not buildings, it's not a leader, but it is also not just a collection of spiritual gifts being expressed. Paul is now not going on the defense to say, I'm responding to or reacting to what you've told me. He's now going on the offense There is something else at the heart of the church. And if you do not have it, even when you accept this normal that we all are to be open and active in the spirit, something will be off. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here at Deep Creek, we want to be a church that basically says everything that church should be, that's what we want to embrace so that people can be refreshed in their life knowing Jesus Christ. We've moved to this uh, refreshing faith as our vision statement, but living and loving like Jesus, which we had for 20 years before that, is also absolutely spot on. We want everything. We want, as here, we want to be able to uh, talk clearly about the mysteries of God. We want to understand his word. We want to hear from God in his word, in prayer, through people sharing, and we want that to be rigorous. We probably want it to be shorter, but we want it to be rigorous. We want to see people operating in some of the things that might look strange and supernatural because if that's what God wants to do, we want that. We want to be a people who can get through hard times together, which is what faith, the gift of faith particularly, is about. Rock-solid commitment to the Lord Jesus under persecution, under suffering. And I can look around and see that that is here personal suffering and also persecution for being a Christian in another place. We want to care for the poor. 
We want to and we're trying. We support Link and we uh, have a heart for refugees, new migrants, though that those that are in need. And we want to stand up for what we believe in, even if it is to our own detriment. That's what give over my body to hardship means. It could be a picture even of martyrdom, that is, standing so strong in your faith that when you are under true physical threat, you do not give in. We want all of that. But Jesus says if there's not love, then all of that, ticking every box is empty, means nothing, will not refresh others or you. The picture of the um, clanging gong or uh, cymbal, Phil and I um, like to pretend we're cultured and occasionally go to the MSO and, uh, you know, they'll use, they'll use a, a gong and you, like, you, you wait, you watch the percussion guys kind of up the back moving between their different instruments and then, and then you're like, is, he gonna, is, he, is it, is it going to be that one? You know, and you're like, oh, it's so exciting. That's quite a positive experience. This is not that. This is feedback on the Deep Creek platform, you know, when woo and everything just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. It's painful and awful. To have a body that operates in all the gifts, that loves to explore God's word, that cares for the poor, and that uh, is willing to stand up for what they believe in, no matter the cost, does not reflect the heart of God if there is not love. And it is painful to listen to and observe, and it is empty, and in fact, it is damaging. You might remember a couple of chapters ago, Paul says, um, uh, in your meetings together, I do not uh, commend you because they do more harm than good. And I, I wonder if you've been to a church where they're rejoicing in their teaching of the word or they're rejoicing in their uh, looking outwards to caring for the poor or they're really using all kinds of uh, gifts in the body. And actually you've come away feeling like, ooh, I feel not built up. I feel hurt. That person that just spoke about God so beautifully from the platform then dismissed me or was unkind or I could see people over there gossiping or excluding me. Worse than that, I remember um, I was at a conference and it was a large, big workshop uh, and the speaker was really amazing and passionate and strong and then uh, told everybody that had the gift of tongues to start speaking in tongues. I don't think I was operating in that gift at that point and um, I, I, I was like, oh, wow, okay. But there was something in the way that he administered that that I felt really, really off, 
really uncomfortable. And I thought, what is wrong with me <laughs> that I don't want to be open to the spirit maybe? What, you know, I, this is terrible. I'm a terrible Christian. Anyway, uh, that person was Frank Houston, and uh, uh, he's Brian Houston's dad. Uh, it has since become known that um, uh, he abused uh, children uh, when he was the minister of that church. Now, I actually have a lot of respect for Brian and Bobby and, and Hillsong, and, and this is not, this is public knowledge. Uh, Brian's written about it. But I didn't know that at that time. But what I felt in that moment was, I think, a deep absence of holy love at the centre of this man's heart and ministry. And so even though he was strong and powerful and everybody was there and they were speaking in these languages uh, that were from heaven, I left feeling damaged and he hadn't even done anything to me. So Paul says, you can be as powerful, as influential and, uh, and successful in the church as you like. But if you don't have love, holy, humble love at the centre, then you'll not only be empty or annoying, you'll be damaging. And so he defines this sort of love. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There's only two uh, positive definitions of love at the start. And then it goes into it does not, it is not. And those two are challenging because I think for those of us who long to have a passionate and deep relationship with Jesus and who are living wanting to be powerful and different, to see that patience and kindness, what we can sometimes feel are kind of either weak or maybe mundane qualities, are front and centre for Paul when it comes to love, let's think about that. And I think this is why they're there, to make sure that we know that love is other person-centred. You can say that you are being loving in all kinds of ways, but if you are not able to see what is happening for another person and wait to the right time to care for them, wait for the right time to share with them, then you are not actually being loving. We had this amazing gathering on Thursday night and we had two Afghan people who are Muslims. And uh, we did not 
tell them about Jesus. And I felt a little ambivalent about that. But love is patient and love is kind. Was that the right moment for it? No. Would it have been kind to ask them to come and then to uh, speak about something that was really challenging for them? Probably not. But would it be right never to tell them? No. But love is patient and love is kind. Karl Barth then uh, kind of looks at the next three sections as our love's interaction with darkness, which is really interesting. And so he says it, it's about the darkness in ourselves, the darkness in others, and then darkness in faith. So he says, love actually looks at ourselves and says, this weed, that thing must be removed. And he's, Paul is speaking about the way in which the Corinthians have already been conducting themselves. They've envied, they've, they've tried to get to the top. This is the antidote. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not jealous, it's not puffing itself up. It does not dishonour others. All of this seems maybe simple, and yet can be so out of reach. Why don't we love like this? Well, I suggest, and I've gone with the four T's, and it might overstate things a little because of that. I suggest that it's because of our training, our time, our trauma, and our terror. Training. We don't love like this because it's not normal in the world to love like this. Our society expects love to be drawn out from the other, from us, right? You are attractive, lovable, cute, uh, you make me feel good, you can do something for me, whatever it is, you comfort me, and my love is drawn out by you. We even parent that way sometimes, right? You know, get that score or do this or whatever, and my love will be drawn out. But instead, God's love is a love that creates value in another rather than responds to value. You and I would have no hope of God responding to us in love had he not chosen to put value on us right from the very beginning. God's grace is seen both in his creation of us to lavish his love on us, creating us in his image for that very purpose and to take the initiative to give us salvation, redemption, forgiveness, restoration in the Lord Jesus. He creates value in us through his action of love toward us and because of who he is. And that's the sort of love that Paul is encouraging in the church. 
in the church, you and I will not always be drawing out love from other people. You're like, darn straight, me. But instead, we need to look around and say, it, it, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you're not serving me in some way. God has given me his love and I can give it to you. Secondly, I think, uh, and particularly really strongly in, in this demographic, is time. Loving people takes time. And we don't have a lot of time. And my diary is packed. Well, last week it was. This week's looking a little bit better. And you are raising children or you are going to appointments or you are working full-time plus more. It's actually hard to love like that, to be patient and kind when you are really stretched for time. Thirdly, I think we don't love like this because of trauma. We've tried and we're hurt. Or we grew up in a way where uh, love looked kind of messed up and so we don't know where to go with it. And finally, I think, and this is, this is the overstatement for terror, but you can, you can, if you resonate with that, fine. We're afraid. We're afraid of what it means to be vulnerable to the point of extending love that would create love, value on another. Like, what a risk. So uncertain. What are you going to get back, if anything, how raw will your soul be if you're actually being truly patient, truly kind, truly trusting, truly persevering with someone who is not always lovable? You might be out of control. The future might look really different and so we're afraid. And so all of these things combine to make us value something else at the heart of our church. And so we say, I want a church that does social justice. I want a church that does worship really amazing. I want a church where I feel something really just powerful every time. I want a church that teaches me the scriptures for an hour and a half. I know you do. Um, and so we do this. We just move from church to church, never seeing anyone come in, just saying, God's here now, this one. This one's got the best of insert thing here. So we'll go there because God must be at work. I, this haunts my dreams, this cartoon. <laughs> on a good and bad way, right? That, that, the, that the balloon will be over someone else's church, um, but also that that's what I will, that's what I will think it's about. But Paul says it's time to know that those things, whatever they are that you value about church, including the stuff that we are going after unapologetically, all of those things, we want to tick all of those boxes and we're empowered by the Spirit to do it and I'm not going to stop. But at the heart of the church, 
must be the heart of God. Because these things, all of these things, are temporary, relative, they are partial, they will disappear. Prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, knowledge, teaching will pass away. Because all of this is in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Caring for the poor goes when completeness comes. Needing to stand firm in your faith to be a martyr and feeling proud of it disappears when completeness comes. Last week I indulged myself uh, about speaking about Uluru and our trip and how its incredible vastness and, and hugeness speaks to, and beauty speaks to, uh, the importance of us seeing what's at the heart of our faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to know that there's a danger of looking at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and thinking they are the big thing and that they are what is to fill our view. But he says if you go to heaven, if you take heaven's view, actually the gifts of the Holy Spirit become far more relativized because they're only for now. What is to come, what is promised, is even greater and vaster, if that is a word. And so he takes us up to that time when we will be complete where not looking in a dirty mirror, we'll only see little bits of what God is like and how powerful he is and how much he longs for us to know him. But instead, we will truly know him and ourselves as we need and are known. And so I started this series saying something about the gifts of the Spirit being like toys for the Corinthian people. And in some ways, I think that's very justified because Paul says, I'm not, I'm not going to stay in childhood any longer. I'm going to grow to adulthood. And the way you're thinking about these things that you can do in the body of Christ together is like you are a child playing with a toy, making as much noise as you can, getting excited with it. But I also want to say that Paul is not arguing against the need of these things They are not actually toys. They are not actually for fun. They are to sustain us for this, what's 86, 400 seconds? That's one day. They are to sustain us. This is the picture that came up when I said, when I typed in, no God, K-N-O-W, God. And I was like, oh, wow. How do I get through the next 86, 400 seconds? The gifts are for that. 
that every single day, every single moment, 365 days a year for as long as the Lord gives you breath, the gifts and the church, the body is so that you will know him, so you have purpose. So that when you ask yourself that question, how am I going to get through the next 86,400 seconds? There is someone to encourage you with a word from God. There is someone to pray for your healing. There is someone to give you guidance. There is someone to show you that God is knowable and active and alive and that you have a purpose in his family and in his kingdom. So they are not toys, really. The Corinthians were playing with them like toys, like let's speak in tongues, let's you know see if there's a message from God. Ah. But they're not toys. They're like essential supplies, first aid kit, the pantry, everything. Because they connect us with God. And we're going to hear more about that next week. But Paul says they cannot do that. They cannot get you through the next 86,400 seconds times seven times 52. They cannot unless faith, hope and love are at the centre and the greatest is love. Now you might wonder as we finish how faith and hope have a future purpose in God. Because you and I often think about faith as that kind of uh, not really knowing but just hoping or trusting that something is there. Ditto hope, that it's about sort of crossing your fingers and looking to the future. And so in heaven, when we can see everything face to face, how could we possibly need faith and hope? Well, you won't need that sort of faith and hope. But it, Actually, faith is not that. Biblical faith, as uh, John Bowman said, is by no means, as has often wrongly been suggested, a leap into the dark. When Jesus calls us to be people of faith, it's not that. It's a leap into the arms of a father who creates and sustains his relative universe, relative in terms of partial, temporary, passing away, disappearing. That leap into the arms of a father never ends. That's what faith is, living in relationship with God, who is forever, eternal, unchanging, and yet who loves us and places value on us. Hope the same, because we know that God, uh, in his work in heaven, that we always just are living in this hopeful love of seeing more and more and more of who he is and understanding exactly why he did this, that, and the other thing that maybe seemed so painful at the time. Faith, hope, and love remain. 
And the greatest, of course, is love. We're about to share the Lord's Supper. And during the singing of this next song, we'll pass out the little communion cups. As we share this meal, we know why love is at the centre of our church. Because love is at the centre of everything that God does. In fact, it is who he is. That he would give himself for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That even if you don't know exactly what that means for you this morning, you have a God who is not only so majestic as to be the creator of the whole universe, but that he would do all of those things that love is for us in all the darkness our darkness and the darkness of the world and he never failed Jesus Christ came to teach to show God's love to include but ultimately to die so that those who did not deserve it would be adopted into a family of love that never ended. So that's what we're going to share in just a few moments. I ask you to stand. You don't have to take the bread and the wine, but as it's passed around, if you want to and you want to trust in Jesus, then uh, please do hold on to it and then we're going to uh, share in some prayers together.